Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day set aside to rest from our normal activities and to be gathered together by you, to be fed by you and served by you, nourished by you, sustained by you, united to you and to one another. We pray now that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to believe and minds to understand. I pray that you would cause us more and more to be transformed in the image of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray and through the power and presence and person of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, please be seated and turn, if you will, in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll read the text in a moment. Let's go through the introduction, a little bit of an introduction first. We want to think this morning about what does God's Word teach us about His Word. As we get ready to start in just a few weeks, our Sunday school and catechism classes, we thought it might be a good opportunity to take some time and think about that. We emphasize the Word of God in everything that we do here at Christ URC. Our worship service is obviously saturated with the Word of God, but in our Sunday school and catechism classes, it's the emphasis as well. We want to focus on what God's Word teaches. And we recognize that in our culture, we are swimming upstream in terms of taking the Word of God seriously and basing our life and everything that we do upon it. We recognize in our circles that God's Word is a light unto our feet and it's a lamp unto our path and we want to be aware of it. Biblical literacy, I'm sure you're aware of many of the statistics, is significant both inside and outside of the church. Some errors can be more serious and some less serious. But according to a Barna research poll, 80% of those who identified themselves as born again said that the Bible teaches that God helps those who help themselves. 80%. 50% of those claiming to be born again can't name the Ten Commandments. And 12% believe that Noah's wife's name is Joan of Arc. Some of them are a little more serious uh, than others, but nonetheless, a lot of biblical illiteracy. And so we want to ensure that what we do here and what we do at homes is saturated with the Word of God. It's even interesting to think, can we know God, and if so, how? And really, we would want to say, strictly speaking, that we don't come to know God. God reveals himself to us. The way that we know God is because he has revealed himself, and he's revealed himself to us in two ways, through general revelation, through his creation and providence and government of the universe. We can know things about God. We can know his power. We can know his might. We can know his order, his creativity, his beauty. And then he's also revealed himself to us through special revelation, predominantly through his son, Jesus Christ, and through his word, the Bible. We come to know the Lord. He makes himself known to us. He reveals himself to us. The great commission of Christ the King calls us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe how much of what he's commanded, beloved. All. All of what he's commanded. We want to really know and to concentrate upon the word and how he has made himself known to us. This is what we'll be doing in our catechism and Sunday school classes this year. This is what we do as we gather together every week. We recognize that the Lord uses the means of grace. He speaks to us through his word. He calls us. He summons us through his word. 
He convicts us through his word. He forgives us through his word. He sanctifies us through his word. He blesses us through his word. Over and over, God is an acting and speaking God. God accomplishes things through speech. In the original creation itself, God spoke and the world came into existence. And to what was existing, he told it to be fruitful and multiply and he empowered it and guided it such that it continues to bear fruit. And so it is with us as a church as well. He speaks us into existence. He calls us from death to life. He regenerates us through his word and he makes us fruitful as he sanctifies us through his word as well. So we really want to think this morning about the reality of what does the word say about the word. We'll look at three things this morning. First, the community of the word. Second, the authority of the word. And third, the purposes of the word. So the community of the word, the authority of the word, and the purposes of the word. And so turn, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. In particular, we want to look at verses 10 through 17, but let me read a few of the verses just at the, at the beginning of that chapter as well. Paul is talking to Timothy. He's kind of passing the torch. Paul is nearing the end of his life and nearing the end of his ministry, and he's writing to and talking to Timothy, who's going to carry on the torch, if you will, of passing down the faith from generation to generation. And Paul says this, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with deceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Aren't you glad we don't live in times like that? (laughs) Tongue-in-cheek, right? Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. And then move down to verse 10, if you will. It says, you, however, you, however, have followed my teaching my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, And training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Well, the first thing that we want to look at this morning is the community of the word. 
You know, Christianity is not an individual event. It's a team sport, isn't it? Think of all the images in Scripture. We are a people. We are a flock. We are a family. You can't be or do any of those things on your own. We're gathered together. We're a collection of God's people together, and we grow and learn in community. We're shaped in community. We were made and designed for community. And here, Paul is addressing Timothy. Paul is near the end of his life. This is one of his last letters. He's writing to someone who he knows very well and with whom he had invested so much. He's discipled Timothy. He's traveled with Timothy. They've been on missionary journeys together. And it's written to Timothy, but not exclusively to Timothy. It's not necessarily to us, but for us, as all scripture is for us. But Paul is concentrating on and writing to Timothy. The apostolic era is coming to an end, and a torch is being passed. In some sense, we could really think of Paul as the last of the apostles and Timothy as the first of the New Testament pastors. Timothy isn't an apostle. He doesn't have the same calling or the same gifting as Paul does in that area. The apostolic age is going to come to a close with the apostles and with the scriptures. And then Timothy onward, the role of the pastors is to share the word of God, to proclaim the word of God. We're not getting any additional revelation. We're not getting any new writings. We're asking that the Lord would illuminate us to help us understand and apply what he has already told us, to believe what God has spoken, to apply it to our lives, to trust in that. We're not looking for any more apostles. We're not looking for any other books of the Bible, but we're looking for people who can faithfully pass down the faith from generation to generation, who can accurately preach and teach the word of God. And all of this is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who is doing all this behind the scenes. Paul is contrasting what he expects of Timothy with what is going on in the world the false teachers, the deceivers, the twisters, the distorters, the liars. But he says in verse 10, You, however, you, however, have been instructed in the truth. He's followed Paul in both his doctrine and life. Paul recognizes that he's not perfect. He's not looking to himself or his works for his salvation or standing before the Lord, but he recognizes that there has been fruit and there has been growth and that he can say to Timothy, it's worthy to imitate me in these things, both my doctrine and my life, what I believe and how I practice it. He lists nine things, his teaching, his conduct, his aim in life, his faith, his patience, his love, his steadfastness, his persecutions, his suffering. You've been around me, you know. You've heard what I believe and what I preach and why, and you've seen it lived out, not lived out perfectly, but you've seen it imitated, follow. Walk this way, continue in that path, Timothy. Again, Paul's not holding himself up as the Christ, but isn't it wonderful in a community that we see people that are farther along the road than we are, that have different gifts and abilities than we do. What a wonderful opportunity for us in this church to have brothers and sisters in the faith who we can watch who we can walk with, who we can learn from, who we can see how God is using them. We can imitate their way of life. We can listen to their doctrine and their application and their wisdom of things. We can benefit together from the gifting and ability that God has given us in a community. And this is what he's 
counting on Timothy to do. This is what he's calling Timothy to do. And Paul says in verse 11, These persecutions that I had, I endured, yet through them all the Lord has rescued me. It's interesting that Paul isn't saying that the Lord rescued him from the hardships, but he rescued him from death so that he could go on proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he preserved his faith. So many things that happened in the life of Paul could have been easy to cause him to walk away from the faith. But Paul is even recognizing here, it's the Lord who preserved me. As much as he's telling Timothy, imitate my faith in my life, it's as he looks to the Lord, it's the Lord who preserved his life so he could go on preaching the gospel. It's the Lord who preserved his faith so that he wouldn't fall away. And he even tells us, he tells Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Isn't it comforting and wonderful to know that Jesus doesn't pull any punches with us? He doesn't tell us that in this present evil age that we're going to have our best life now. Paul sure didn't. Jesus sure didn't. The saints didn't. As a matter of fact, by coming to Christ is going to put you at odds with the world. You're swimming upstream. And Scripture makes it really clear, as they treated Jesus, so they will treat us. We shouldn't expect any different treatment. But as we read this morning in the law, how do we respond to those who persecute us? In the power and the Holy Spirit, we pray that we would be able to bless them. We pray for them. We seek to overcome evil with good. Not for our salvation, but from our salvation. Because we know this God who is mighty. We know this God who is powerful. We know this God who is holy. We know this God who is merciful. We know this God who has the end sorted out from the beginning. We recognize that we live in once Eden. We don't live in the world that was created. It's fallen. It's under a curse. And we don't live in the world that yet will be when Christ returns. We live in this present evil age. And so Christianity and Christ and the scriptures are very real about this world, you will be persecuted. It's not all going to be unicorns and roses and ice cream. Hopefully those things, but not always. It's kind of, kind of even counterintuitive. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says when Christ calls a, bad, he calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Christianity is a constant dying to self. Not a puffing up of ourself, but a dying to self. We look our entire lives outward, up to the Lord in faith and trust, and out to others in love and service. So Paul goes on to tell Timothy, but as for you, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood, really the word there is infancy, From infancy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Here's the community of faith, isn't it? Timothy learned these things from his youth. His grandma and his mother taught him and instructed him in the faith. And then a little later in life, Paul and the church. There's this covenant community in which Timothy was brought up and nurtured. Grandma told him the truth. Mom told him the truth. The sacred scriptures opened them up and told them to him. Ultimately, it's the Lord speaking through the word, but the Lord uses means, doesn't he? 
He uses preachers and the preaching of the gospel. He uses evangelists. He uses our Sunday school teachers and catechism teachers. He uses our moms, our dads, our grandmas, our grandpas, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, friends. He uses all these different means. And that this happens in a community. Timothy has an experience very much like a lot of kids in our church who when they grow up, sometimes they're frustrated because they think, do I really have to have some radical conversion experience? And most of them, many of them can say, I don't remember a day when I didn't know or love the Lord. That's fantastic. Some of them do have a significant conversion story. People who didn't grow up in Christianity, some of them may have that. Some of them may have a story more like Paul, Saul, on the road to Damascus, where in an instant he was converted. Timothy has a story, he could say, my whole life I've heard this, my whole life I've known this, my whole life I've believed this. The the Lord has used that word in my life. And so we recognize that we live and learn and love in a community, and we are brought into, worded into a community, as we are united to God and united to one another. We're a family. When we prayed the Lord's Prayer just a few minutes ago, we said, our Father, didn't we? It's not just my Father. Yes, He is, and that's wonderful, but He is our Father, and we are family. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so sitting next to you is your brother and sister in Christ, Sometimes we can be very frustrated at them, or sometimes they might annoy us. But can we remember that first and foremost, they're made in the image of God, and secondly, they are recreated in the image of Christ. The person sitting next to you is someone from whom the Lord of glory died and rose again. It ought to shape the way that we want another, the way that we love, the way that we talk, the way that we serve, the way that we care for one another. A whole lifetime of Lord's Day spent together here and then out loving and serving one another and our neighbors through our vocations or through other gatherings. And so we recognize for the first point that there's a community of the word. It's not just you and your Bible, though I encourage you to read and meditate upon your Bible, but it's us, it's we, it's together. There's a community of learning and sharing both doctrine and life, being shaped and formed, sharpening and softening one another, helping one another, encouraging one another, confronting one another when need be as well, based on the word. The second thing we want to look at is the authority of the word. Paul says in verse 15, He says, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for use. Sacred writings. That's in contrast to the sources of speculation and false teaching that Paul was warning Timothy about and that so easily infiltrate the church. If someone comes to add to or take away from this beloved, don't believe them. This word is authoritative. It's final. It's sufficient for everything that we need to know for doctrine and for life. It's interesting that Paul says all scripture is breathed out by God. That should echo back to that creation. It's impossible for us to imagine 
nothing. There was God, and then he spoke. And everything that we've come to know and enjoy and see is because of that. It's an effectual word. God speaks. God breathes out creation. And scripture is also God-breathed. Not in exactly the same way in terms of some creation out of nothing, but it's effectual in that way that God speaks it. And the Bible isn't just words about God, but God's words recorded for us. Michael Horton said, Scripture is not just a witness to God's action, but is the means through which God acts in every time and place liberating and ruling, judging and justifying, threatening and comforting, uprooting and planting. God accomplishes his purpose in history through speech. It's amazing that God is a speaking God and he accomplishes things through speech. The world itself and the new creation is all from God. We are worded through and through. We were summoned here this morning. We were greeted by the Lord. We heard the Lord in his law. We responded to him in confession. He announced his declaration of pardon. He announced his forgiveness of sins and assured us that we are righteous and that there is nothing that can separate us from us. At the end of the service, he's going to pronounce a benediction on on us. Not just empty words, God speaking, God accomplishing things through his speech. We sang his word back to him when we sang two psalms this morning. We are saturated in and swimming in the word, and God accomplishes things through speech. He is the author, the divine author, working in conjunction with human authors that bring us his word. And we recognize God uses means. The Bible didn't fall from heaven in the form that it has now, with personalized lettering and leather coverings and gold stamps and all this other stuff. It was organically unfolded throughout the ages as God oversaw that process. God uses various means. Some of the authors record the exact word of God, like Moses with the Ten Commandments. Some record visions that they saw, like Isaiah or Zechariah or John. Some record experiences, like the psalmists. Some record eye and ear witness accounts, like Matthew and Mark and John. And some are researchers, like Luke. But all of it, the Lord is orchestrating, and he's using the gifts and abilities and the times and place and the temperament even of these people through them to give us his word. It's an amazing book. Dozens of authors over a 1,500-year time span in three languages. All kinds of genres. It's got prophecy, history, law, gospel, wisdom, parables, apocalyptic literature, psalms, songs, poems. We need to be careful that we don't read a particular text out of its genre. You don't want to read a poem like it's history or a prophecy like it's law. We want to be able to understand these things. This is why we want to be careful in this church in terms of how we teach from the pulpit as well as teaching our Sunday school and catechism classes. And to think about this being written over 1,500 years, yet it has remarkable unity. It's all telling the same story. From Genesis to Revelation, it's telling the same story. How God created the world, 
the tragedy of the fall into sin when humanity disobeyed. Chapter 3, barely into the book, God promises a Savior. And the rest of it unfolds, either showing what that Savior will be like when he's come or telling us what that Savior did when he came and promising his return. From beginning to end, it's telling the same story. And Jesus Christ is the hero of that story. Timothy would have heard Paul and his church community show from all of the scriptures how they point forward to Jesus. The Old Testament, the books that had already been written by the time that 2 Timothy was written, how it all pointed forward to Christ. A story in which God has written and spoken and worded us into the story. We do have lines, we have roles, we have responsibilities, we have opportunities, we have privileges, we have a sacred duty. But we're not the main character. Christ is. Christ is the main character of the story. And it's really wonderful for us to be able to see how all the smaller stories in every part of the scripture connect to and point to or are part of the large story of God redeeming a people for himself forever. Sometimes, kids, we think of scripture in terms of a little word, snap, S-N-A-P. We talk about these as the perfections of scripture. S, it's sufficient. N, it's necessary. A, it's authoritative. And P, it's perspicuous actually just means clear, right? A little bit of an irony there. So we could call it a snack. Sufficient, necessary, authoritative, and clear. And what do we mean by that? It's sufficient. It tells us everything that we need to know for faith and for life. Does Scripture tell us everything we need to know in life? No. But it tells us everything that we need to know for faith and for life. It doesn't even tell us everything we want to know. It doesn't tell us everything exhaustively, but it tells us everything sufficiently, what we need to know about our sin and misery and how we're saved and redeemed in Christ. It's also necessary. We can know without Scripture that we are sinners and that we need a Savior. But unless we have the Scriptures, we won't know who that Savior is. There's no way that you could be sitting on an island by yourself and just recognize I'm a sinner There must be one God who is in three persons, and from all eternity past, they decided that the second person of the Holy Trinity will come, and he's going to die on a cross and rise again three days later and save me. You'd never come up with that. That has to be told to you, a special revelation both in the Son and the Word that's given to us. So Scripture is sufficient. It tells us everything we need to know for life. It's necessary because without it, we wouldn't know these things, and it's authoritative. What it says, it says authoritatively. We ought not to be negotiating with God about some of these things, any of these things. God says it. This is his word. We are to conform ourselves to the word of God. We aren't to conform God to our sense or understanding of his word. And then it's perspicuous. It's clear. There are all kinds of scripture. Well, portions of scripture that are less clear than others, right? But you should be able to, anybody can read the Bible and recognize we're sinners and that there's salvation in Christ alone. 
You could read the Bible if you didn't believe it, and you could come away with that. There's lots of questions we don't know, right? Who are the Nephilim in Genesis 9? I don't know. I have a pretty good idea, but I don't know. But what I do know is that we're all dead in our trespasses and sins, and God, being rich in mercy, sent his own son, Jesus Christ, and then everyone and everyone who calls upon him will be saved. That's really clear. So scripture is a snack. It's sufficient, it's necessary, it's authoritative, and it's clear. So we want to think about the word in terms of the community of the word. We want to think about it in terms of the authority of the word. But finally, we want to think about it in terms of the purposes of the word. What, what purposes does God have for his word? First, in verse 15, it says, The sacred scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Faith. The very thing that unites us to Christ, the instrument through which we receive Christ and all of his blessings, scripture is necessary for that. The word creates faith. And note that the sacred scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation, not just conversion or not just a moment of belief, all of it. Paul will put it this way in Romans. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, for it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's not just for part of our Christian life, but for all of it. The scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation. Not just the information about it, but it actually accomplishes it. God regenerates us through his word. God sanctifies us through his word. He assures us through his word. He promises us through his word. It's not just some external sound, but an internal reality from the Father in the Son through the Holy Spirit. Beloved, how does faith come? Faith comes by what? Hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Martin Luther said the church is an ear house rather than an eye house or even a mouth house. We're an ear house. Hear. The call to worship this morning, listen. Hear and believe. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So one of the first purposes of the word, the sacred scriptures, are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ. It's uniting us to the Savior. The scriptures are telling us about the word, Christ, and scriptures are telling us about the word, the Bible. And through those, we are recreated and have faith. Think of a couple other passages of Scripture that talk about the power and efficacy of God's Word. In James 1.18, it says, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. We are brought forth by the word of truth. Peter puts it this way. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. That's powerful. The God who spoke the world into existence is the God who speaks into our life. The same Holy Spirit that was hovering over the deep and bringing order out of chaos and creation is the same Holy Spirit who dwells in you now, not outside of you, but in you. The third person of the Holy Trinity, it's remarkable to think about. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 
The Holy Spirit is not going to drop the ball and fail in keeping you united to Christ and growing you in grace and growing you in faith and uniting you to him. He's going to do this through the word. So first, the sacred scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Christ. Second, the sacred scriptures are useful. They're purposeful for doctrine and life. He lists four things, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. The first two really have to do with what we believe, and the second two really have to do with how we live, our doctrine and our life. As Reformed people, sometimes we get knocked saying, all you really care about is what people believe. No, we wholeheartedly care about what people believe and what people do. And the word here is talking about your doctrine. There are certain things that we can and must believe, and there are things that we can and must do. Teaching and reproof have to do with getting our doctrine right. Correcting and training have to do with adjusting our life. All scripture is profitable for teaching, for doctrine. It's almost impossible to improve on the tagline for White Horse Inn that you know what you believe and why you believe it. We want you here to not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. And everything we do from the pulpit and everything we do in Sunday school and catechism class and certainly in your lives at home and family worship or devotions as well. So that we may give an accurate account. We may fairly represent what God says about himself. The Bible is simple enough for a child to understand it and profound enough that we could never exhaust the riches of its treasure. We can spend our whole lives reading and studying and meditating upon the word. So scripture is profitable for teaching, for doctrine, for training. Second, for reproof. The word is given so that the preaching will bring about conviction of sin. Are you convicted when we come in every Lord's Day and hear the law read? Are you patient and kind and tender-hearted, forgiving others as Christ forgave you? That's leveling. It convicts us of our sins. Says, Father, forgive me this week, this morning, today, again. Recognizing our need to not depend upon ourselves for our salvation, but to lift our eyes and hearts and minds to Christ. So it's profitable for teaching and for reproof, but also for correction. A better word might be for resetting. Like after you break a bone and you reset it to heal it, it often comes back stronger after that. It's transformative. It's restorative. It unites us to Christ. It unites us to others. It corrects us. We're being shaped to look more and more like our Lord and Savior Jesus. That process will be complete when he comes back. We will be made like him and we will see him as he is. But until then, it's slow and steady as the Lord sanctifies us through his word, through his preaching, through the sacraments, through life, through the crucible of life as he conforms us more and more to the image of Jesus. And fourth, for training in righteousness. This is a lifetime. It's like being an athlete. You're constantly training and redirecting your life according to what the Word of God says about it. We grow and we mature. 
we expect a five-year-old to act like a five-year-old, but when they're 55, hopefully they're acting a little different than when they were five. In the Christian life as well, Paul said uh, that, that there's growth, that there's maturity. We expect these things. That's training and righteousness. We pursue these things throughout a lifetime that the Lord has given us. The third purpose is that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The man of God in this particular text is referring to Timothy. As Paul is talking to Timothy and he says, here's what I want you to do. Look at chapter 4 for a minute. 2 Timothy 4, he says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, by, and by his appearing his kingdom, preach the word, and be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So in particular, he's talking to Timothy. The word of God is sufficient to make the man of God complete in the work that he's called him to do, but by extension and by implication, and from other passages of Scripture, we know that the word of God is that which the Lord uses in our life to conform us to the image of Jesus, to sanctify us. Wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. When we talk about Christ Jesus, beloved, we're talking about a person. We're talking about one who is God and one who is man and one who is our Savior and one who is a friend of sinners, and one who is our good shepherd, and one who is our elder brother, one who is the last Adam, one who is the promised seed. Don't miss the richness of that little text, that little word. Wise unto salvation through Jesus Christ. All of the scriptures are pointing forward to him. All of God's promises to us find their completion, their perfection, their fulfillment in him. Second Corinthians 1.20. For all of the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we can utter our amen to God for his glory. Even our ability to say amen to the truths of scripture is because of God's work for and in us through the scripture and the spirit as well. And in conclusion, the apostle John in his gospel said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have a way of life. Lest anything I say this morning be misunderstood, I want you to know the Bible. I want you to know the word of God. But not as an end in itself. Not so that you can get all the data points right, or so not that so you can pass some theological test, but because it's in these that you know and hear Jesus. I want you to know and love Jesus. That's the burden of my heart. That's the burden of all of your elders and deacons here, your other pastors here, your brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you who have Christian and godly parents. That's the burden of their heart, your brothers and sisters. Yes, I want you to know this. I think that our creeds and confessions are the most faithful expression 
of the Christian faith, but I don't want you to know them for that reason. I want you to know them because they faithfully represent and point you to Christ, and I want you to know him. I want you to love him, and I want you to know the love that he has for you that surpasses your wildest imaginations. He is for you. He is with you. He is in you. There's nothing in all of creation that can ever separate you from his love. It's Christ. It's him that we proclaim. It's him that we hear. It's him that we trust. It's he who died for us. It's he who rose for us. It's he who is interceding for us even right now. The reason why we won't fall away, beloved, isn't because the strength of our faith, but because of the strength of our Savior to whom our faith is connected. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God. We thank you that you haven't left us wandering and groping in the dark to try to find a way to you, but that you revealed yourself to us in general revelation and special revelation through your Son and through your Word. Father, we pray that we would love your Word, that we would treasure it in our hearts, that we would meditate upon it day and night, that we would be able to faithfully pass it on from generation to generation. We pray that we would come to our church services ready to hear from you, ready to listen, ready to receive, and ready to respond. We pray that through your Holy Spirit that you would conform us more and more to Jesus. We pray that you would cause us to grow in our faith, that you would use your means of grace and use your means of growth to continue the work that you have begun in us. And may we be moldable and malleable in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.